Hello friends, Kate here. I wanted to let you know about a simple and effective guidebook that walks you through the seven seasons of a woman's life and provides you with supportive wisdom and practices for each. So if you desire a deeper connection to your body and to your natural rhythms, then you can download this free ebook via the link in the show notes, the Holistic Woman e-guide, Deepen your connection to your body and life through the seven seasons in this practical guide to aligning with your body's natural rhythms and cycles to work harmoniously with your body rather than against it. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Holistic Woman podcast with Kate Payne, women's yoga therapist, facilitator and mentor. For the past decade, I've been working in women's health and wellness across multiple modalities and have witnessed firsthand the detrimental impact on women from our Western culture, pushing a one-size-fits-all approach to women's health and healing. This is a podcast series for women who want whole body connection through the seven seasons of their life, from menstruation to menopause and everything in between. These audios released weekly can be used to empower women to build connection in their bodies, embrace their unique seasons and cycles, and cultivate whole body health. Welcome to this episode of the Holistic Woman podcast with your guide, Kate Payne. Today I have Catherine Johns from Eastern Osteopathy, the Osteopathic Pelvic Hub, the Osteopathic Pelvic Health Institute of Australia. And Catherine is an osteopath, of course, one of the most highly trained in Australia in pelvic health and pregnancy, where she has studied under some of the most renowned physiotherapists here in Australia and also overseas. Her training comes from physiotherapy, science and research research, but her osteopathic mind and hands allows her to have a holistic style of pelvic health. Welcome to the show, Kate. And this is exactly why I wanted you on here because of this holistic style of pelvic health. So welcome. Thank you so much for asking me. I'm really excited to be joining you today. I love your podcast. So yeah, thrilled to be here. My pleasure. And I love your work and our paths have crossed many a times i think we're first introduced through your sister who's also an osteopath and one of the co-founders of the osteopathic pelvic health institute of australia and we met through one of my absolute soul sisters colleagues and someone who i've created many trainings with andy who's also another women's yoga therapist and the work that i've seen unfold from you over the past few years particularly around this area of women's health i think is so inspiring and so needed in the world of Western healthcare. And then having that, like you say, this osteopathic mind and hands approach or through this lens of osteopathy, which we know is all about holistic health is just so powerful. But before we dive into all of that good stuff, can you start by sharing the season that you're in? Because you're a mom, you're a woman, all the things. How are you celebrating where you're currently at? Well, in terms of the seasons, I am going through many. I'm menstruating. I'm a mother. I'm postpartum. And judging by the way that my periods have been going over the last few months and being the age of 45, I I hate to say it, but I feel like I'm sliding into the perimenopause. 
Um, so hoping that was going to be a little bit later in my life, but I feel mm-hmm. like that's coming sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. And I guess for me, of all of those seasons, the one that I identify with the, the most is motherhood. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't consider myself in the postpartum period. I sort of feel like I'm going pretty well in that respect and mm-hmm. I'm still menstruating, menstruating mm-hmm. and I talk to my girls a lot about that, but mm-hmm. it's the motherhood. Um, and my, I guess for me, celebrating motherhood is just without guilt, allowing myself to have that time and space to have a meditation practice and mindfulness mm-hmm. and, and and giving myself time of just recovering from a um, from back surgery last year, but I've just even recently given myself permission just to just start doing exercise again at a gym. Mm-hmm. And um, but the meditation part for me without that, I mean I'm a better mum because I give myself that time to meditate and clear my mind and the mindfulness and I'm trying to interweave that into my family as well mm-hmm. I'll ask my family oh what what were you grateful for today mm-hmm. <laughs> my hates it. um but the girls will sit down and, and talk about what they're grateful for so I guess that's my way of celebrating it it's just it's just giving myself time and permission mm. and not feeling guilty about it because I'm a better mum when I do it yeah, I agree. I also have a daily meditation practice and it definitely, yeah, fuels my nervous system in a way that allows me to, yeah, stay calm and and really grounded. And, and I think it's so important that as mothers, we have that space and it doesn't have to look like meditation as we both know, it can look like anything for any woman, whatever she feels aligned to, but to have that that personal space every day to be able to tune back into our body and our breath and become, you know, more aware of our life as a woman. And then it is that acknowledgement of the seasons. Has it always been like that for you or has it shifted since you became a mum? I think that, you know, I was a typical mum and I, everything was about the family and I Mm. gave myself the time to start off with. And I think it's a real juggling act, just try and, you know, before I had kids, it was all about my fitness and my meditation and so forth. And then all of a sudden, when you needed it more than mm. you ever have in the past, and you needed to have that time to yourself, it was that juggling act of trying to find the time to yourself. So it took me a few years to actually find my groove with my meditation and prioritizing that over, um, well, no, I wasn't prioritizing it over my family, but I just just prioritizing it as part of something that I needed to do on a daily, on a daily Mm -hmm. basis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I prioritize it over my family. (laughs) (laughs) The other day I'm sitting in the middle of a meditation and I put my AirPods on. So I can't keep going on around the house because just my house is pretty open and, um, and my daughter came and sat on my lap and she grabbed my face and she started doing the Eskimo kisses on my nose. Oh. And I was just like, <laughs> stuff the meditation. I just want yes. to right now. And, yeah. you know, I picked it back up later. But in that moment, I also was like, well, the reason why I'm doing the meditation or part of why I'm doing it is so that I can be more present. Exactly. And so for me in that moment, I wanted to be present with my daughter mm-hmm. and I wanted to be giving her Eskimo kisses back. And then yeah. and then we settled into a nice pose that meant that I could hold her and continue with my meditation. And mm-hmm. you adapt as well. 
Yes, I agree. And I think that's, that's why I think women have such a challenge in prioritizing themselves. And I don't think it needs to be one or the other. But I think we have to be able to prioritize ourselves as women and particularly as mothers with young children. Um, otherwise, you know, that that outward pouring of energy is very one way and it needs to flow back inwardly as well. And like you've just so beautifully articulated, when we feel fueled, then our time with our children is so much more rich and they really get the best of us and then we get the best of us and everyone wins in that situation. But sometimes just at the beginning, it's a bit tricky. I have a lot of clients I'm working with at the moment who are just in that really tricky stage of making it themselves the priority and then starting to build that habitual patterning of, yes, mum has this time for her. She goes for a walk, you know, when dad gets home and, you know, or whatever it looks like. And then, you know, over time that just becomes part of their normal routine and it doesn't feel like she constantly has to ask for her needs to be met over and over and over again because it kind of is just the way family life works. And it's so much easier when you have a partner that is really supportive and my partner is sure. really supportive. Like I went to the gym the other morning and I got home at 7.30 and I was like, oh, I've got to get two girls ready in an hour. And I walked mm. in and he had made the lunches, the girls were eating their breakfast. So all I had to do, because he had to be gone in 10 minutes, yeah. all I had to do then was, um, um, you know, get the girls dressed and get myself ready in an hour, which yeah. is the time for me because I'm not high mm-hmm. maintenance. So, um, yeah, it does help when you've got a a partner that's supportive as well but agree yeah agree very important i want to touch on um your work now so your work is centered around women and on your instagram profile you speak it to it as being a heart-centered pelvic health and birth work approach can you share what that means to you and why you think that's so important in being able to meet the needs of women in this modern day yeah. So for me, it's not just even when I'm working with patients that I feel like I'm heart-centered. I try to bring that into the running of my business and the way that I react, um, the way that I interact with the people that work with me, um, whether it's the other osteopaths or the reception staff. I, I want that to be a part of all of what I do. And and when it comes to my patients, it's it's about compassion and it's about truly caring and that's I feel like that's exactly where I come from like I will cry when a patient comes in and tells me that they've just been intimate with their partner for the first time because I feel like that is just a god-given right for everyone to be able to be have be intimate with their partner and and it feel good and it not be painful and when someone comes in and tells me that they're pregnant so for me it's a I feel like it's truly caring about my patient's story. It's about truly caring about their outcomes. It's truly caring about their goals and where they want to go and where they're hoping to go. So it it's just, it's all about compassion and truly caring for me about mm-hmm. my patients. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it sounds like, you know, that that's how it should be, right? It, like that's how it should be. But as we both know, it's often not like that. It's often the opposite experience for many women. Um, why is it so important that women access and find practitioners that feel really aligned and really have that heart-centered approach? Why do you think that's particularly important for women who are moving through like the pregnancy and birth and postpartum? Well, I- so there's, there's research out there that actually says that 
for many women, they feel like they're not being heard when they go and speak to a practitioner. Mm. So for me, it's about just sitting and just and giving them time and space to actually feel like they've told their whole story and that you've actually listened to their story. Mm. Mm-hmm. And when someone's coming in to talk about a birth and why they're wanting to prepare, but then they're also touching on a trauma or a past birth trauma or um, or their postpartum, they're coming in for the postpartum period and they're talking about the birth experience that they've just had and how whether it was positive or it wasn't positive I think that you know having that ability to be really compassionate and really care about what they're saying and and I will sit there and I will listen for five minutes and I will not say a word to my patients because I want them to be able to say everything instead of trying to give them advice and jump in at any Mm. point interrupt and tell them you know I just want them to sit down and tell me the whole story and feel heard and that they've been listened to because it's for some women it's really hard to come in and talk about these things and Mm -hmm. you know it brings up lots of different emotions and we need to just sit there and just be good listeners and 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 hear the whole story yeah that to me reminds me really of this osteopathic approach to see the whole you know the woman in her wholeness in her entirety and really offering not just the you know the medical advice and support but also offering a listening space and holding a safe container for her to feel heard and be able to express can you talk for those maybe who are listening who don't have a full understanding or concept or maybe they've never even heard of of an osteopath like let's hope they have of course but (laughs) if they're listening to this podcast they likely have for sure Yeah, but can you speak a little bit more about the way you've taken the osteopathic lens and you've taken then all of this rich knowledge and experience in pelvic health and combine the two to create this really holistic approach? Yeah. So for me, I was I've been osteopath for 20 years and I started getting into pelvic health probably 7 years ago. Mm-hmm. And when I first started doing pelvic health, it was the the model that the physios generally use, and not all physios, because I know that there's some great holistic physiotherapists out there. Mm-hmm. They have a model of when they're doing an internal pelvic floor assessment, it's usually, you know, they insert a finger and contract, relax, and mm-hmm. you're tight, do these exercises, you're weak, do these exercises. Mm-hmm. And so I that's what I learned. So I brought that into my practice and I was doing it going, what in the heck this this does not fit right this doesn't sit right for me mm-hmm. I would never look at someone's shoulder and go oh you're restricted in this movement strengthen it here or you're restricted mm-hmm. or you're a bit weak just do this exercise mm-hmm. and I was like why are we giving less respect to the pelvic floor when if you ask me the pelvic floor deserves more res- or just as much respect as any other part of the body so I started just going what asking the why why is it tight why is it weak Mm. why isn't the pelvic floor functioning right Mm. and and going well if the traps are not moving very well and someone gives it a massage how much better does it feel well Mm. you can't get your whole hand in there and massage the pelvic floor yeah yeah there's lots of really gentle um myofascial release techniques Mm. that i will do to get the pelvic floor functioning better and inevitably, for most of my patients, at the start of the treatment and then at the end of the treatment, the pelvic floor is functioning so much better because we have balanced the pelvis, mm-hmm. and we have if the breathe, you know, if the rib cage is not moving very well and they aren't able to breathe very well, then obviously mm-hmm. that's for. Um, I'm sure at some point I'll explain the relationship of that. But you know, we're we're looking at that whole body. Um, mm-hmm. If the foot's not moving very well, 
and you cannot, you're not absorbing shock, then that that increases the load on the pelvic floor. So we're working on the foot, we're working on the pelvis, we're doing internal myofascial release work to the pelvic floor. But we're also then going, well, if the person has a tight pelvic floor because of a previous trauma, then that needs to be addressed. So if if they've just they've got a lot of anxiety and um so it comes into that whole we like to look at it as a whole person approach. And I know that yoga is very much about that as well. Yeah. Everyone can do whole body. That's an easy thing. But to look at the whole person and go, okay, well, your pelvic floor is actually really tight because of um, because of your anxiety and your anxiety mm. is driven because of relationship issues, then mm-hmm. no matter how much myofascial release work I do to the pelvic floor, it's going to come yeah. back. It is then looking at that whole body and that whole person and um, working out, okay, well, we're addressing sleep and we're addressing stress and we're mm-hmm. looking at the pelvic floor and, and, and so forth. So it is the whole, the whole thing, the whole body, yeah. the whole person. Yeah. And it takes more than just one session then. It's not something that can happen in. And I think when we, it's, it's just, I, I just love speaking about this because the holistic approach and practitioners like yourself really bringing in that holistic lens and seeing the woman in her entirety and supporting her over a period of time to cultivate that whole body health and healing for herself is so powerful. But in our Western kind of mindset and the way we've grown up and been conditioned is that you go and see a health practitioner when you're in a state of illness or disease and they support you, you know, you go like that shoulder example you gave. I've got a sore shoulder I go and get a treatment it feels better and I continue on with the rest of my you know the rest of my life and then when that crops up again I make another appointment I head back but what I'm hearing from you and what I know of your work is that you're actually supporting women really across like the whole continuum of their life because we're saying that the pelvic floor and pelvic health is impacted really by so many different day-to-day living for women right so you actually become this kind of partner for women to keep kind of circling back to and checking in with as they move through different transitions and seasons in their life and you become this really yeah like this partnership it becomes this collaboration rather than this practitioner that you just go and see when you you know you have like a bit of a soreness or an injury that'd be fair to say oh yeah absolutely and I I don't even I mean, we spoke before we got started about calling me the, you know, doctor and I'm like, oh, no, I don't want the doctor part. Like I, I love yeah. that relationship is, I feel like, like for me personally, I get so much out of helping my patients as well. So um, yeah, you do create a partnership and for many, it starts with preparing them for birth or helping them to actually be able to have sex. You know, I'm, I'm working with a patient at the moment. I've had plenty like this where we've worked, got her to the point where she can be intimate with her partner and then she's getting pregnant and then mm. we're going to help her prepare for birth. And it just follows on. So you do, you end up being um, very invested in the in the person and in the patient and the, um, in the future mum because mm. you've been there that whole story and sometimes you've known them longer than they've known their partners. That's how yeah. some of the relationships have gone on. You know, you're helping them, and then they've met the person, and then they get their, and then they're pregnant. And mm. so, and I love that part of the story. Yeah, that's amazing. What was the catalyst for you moving into this kind of work? Because last week when we were meant to record the the podcast and needed to reschedule, we were talking about how 
you were working in sort of, you know, your typical kind of osteo clinic setting with, and I know when, when I was in living in Melbourne and, and my husband and I had our own clinic, it was the very typical, you know, white collar, sore necks, sore backs. That was pretty much, you know, the crux of it, injuries, you know, people hurting themselves at the gym, that sort of thing. Um, and you were talking about how that not being as fulfilling over the years you know that the longer you're in that space you know the kind of less fulfilling it becomes because you're seeing the same kind of thing day in day out and so what was the catalyst then for moving into working with women in this way i remember when i graduated like i said 20 years ago all of my friends wanted to get into pediatrics okay all i wanted and so and most of them did they all went down the path of doing more pete all i wanted to do was work with pregnant women Mm. I wanted to help women who had headaches around the time of their period. That's all I ever wanted to do. Um, And it was probably um, 15, maybe 17 years ago was the first time I tried to do a pelvic floor course with a a physio institute here in Australia. And I sent my check off and I was so excited. And my mum was a continence nurse. She sent her check off. I wasn't keen on doing the course with my your mum. With my (laughs) mum. But I was excited about doing the course. And they just sent my check back and said, really sorry about your experience, you can't do it. So I just kept trying and trying. So even though I've only been in this field for seven years, um, which is still a long time, Mm. um, um, I tried so hard for so many years. Mm. And um, it was about seven years ago because I was pregnant with my daughter and she's six. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, she was born in December. So it was almost seven years ago to the like around this time, actually. We finally got onto a physio course here in Australia. And then we did the rest of our training in America because even though we got on that course, we weren't allowed to do any more of their courses. Um, so we then started doing our training in America. And okay. my sister and I did the full range of um, courses in America that you would do. Mm. Um, to become a like a not a specialist because I'm not sure if like I know here in Australia we can't call ourselves specialists but like a pelvic mm-hmm. floor physio over there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I when I started getting into then pelvic health I put all the information on my website mm-hmm. and I thought it was going to be pregnant women and it was going to be postpartum and it was being incontinence prolapse that's what I was going mm-hmm. to see mm-hmm. what I didn't realize was that they're not the people up late at night, generally speaking, Googling something different. And it was actually the chronic pelvic pain. So mm-hmm. when I got into pelvic health, I didn't go into what I thought that I was wanting to do. And my mm-hmm. most passionate thing is is pelvic, um, is preparing someone for birth and pregnancy. Mm-hmm. But I all of a sudden was treating vulvodynia and vaginismus and persistent mm-hmm. genital arousal disorder because they were the people up late at night going, what mm-hmm. in the heck? I need something. So I dove straight into the chronic pelvic pain. And I guess that's where my real passion for helping people with intimacy and mm-hmm. being able to have sex again came from. Mm-hmm. It's because I had so many patients coming in where it was the two, three years mm-hmm. since they'd even been intimate. Some of my patients have been married for two or three years and not even being intimate with their husband. Mm-hmm. So that's what I that's what I went straight into. Once I started getting a reputation, that's when the patients with incontinence and prolapse and pregnant people started coming to me Mm. and that was probably about four years ago so um and I'm lucky enough as an osteopath to completely close my door to general osteopathy I don't take on new patients Mm. and they are pelvic health now so Mm -hmm. my that's all I do all week is just pelvic health and I even though I as soon as I got into pelvic health 
in reflection, I, I was like, I had lost a bit of the spark for what I was doing mm. in that moment, in the time. I didn't realize that I had. It wasn't until I found this new, um, new line of what I was doing and the different people that I was helping and the, and the impact that I could have on this on this group of women, on these women. And I treat men as well, but mm-hmm. um, I have to admit, there's it's well, it's probably ninety eight percent women. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I'm I'm okay with treating men as well. I'm not opposed to treating men. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I just um, yeah, I, I fell in love with it. Mm. And that is that then what was the catalyst you having to go and train in the US? Was that the catalyst then for you co-creating the Osteopathic Pelvic Health Institute? No, it was complete selfish reasons for completing mm-hmm. the institute. I was booked out three months in advance. Yeah. I needed to train the osteopaths that worked for me and yep. really needed to be in an official capacity as well. Mm. And I also want to get it out there because I truly believe that osteopaths can and will make some of the best pelvic health practitioners mm-hmm. because of our holistic way of looking at the body and yes. don't just give someone exercises. And I know that there's a time and a place for that. I'm not t- taking away from people that do just that, mm-hmm. but I just, my training, like there's just so much more to the body. And mm. um, so I also wanted to get it out there. I wanted to get osteopathy and pelvic health out there, but mm. it was also because I just needed help in my practice and I just needed to yeah. train the osteos that work for me. Yeah. And they, were, they, a lot of really good osteopaths gravitate towards my clinic because they want to, they want to work with me and they want to learn from me and they want to, mm. um, and they want to see all the patients that I'm seeing. So I, mm. I have a, an amazing group of osteopaths working for me so I was able to train them up but at the same time I think we've trained about uh 75 80 osteopaths in pelvic health across, across Australia a majority are in Melbourne but mm-hmm. there's some in nearly every state which is amazing so hopefully mm-hmm. over the next couple of years you'll start seeing more and more sort of osteopathic pelvic health clinics popping up everywhere incredible and you only it's only for osteopaths at the moment it's only for osteopaths mainly because there's like every course that we do there's a wait list so mm-hmm. we are wanting to get just the osteopaths trained but we have mm-hmm. doctors midwives and even a lot mm-hmm. of physios because there's still plenty of physios that want that more holistic approach for sure um, and and they want to learn how to do what we do in terms of all the different internal visceral like techniques because mm-hmm. i will do be doing techniques to the cervix to the um, to the bladder so one finger's internally on mm-hmm. part of the fascia or right. at the trigone at the base of the bladder and then externally I've got my finger on the bladder and I'm doing a myofascial mm-hmm. release between the bladder mm-hmm. and, and the fascia that surrounds the urethra and up through into the trigone of the bladder mm-hmm. so you know they want to learn those techniques and mm-hmm. when it quietens down with osteopaths I'm sure we will open it to other professionals um, but mm-hmm. at the moment we're just filling it with osteopaths and that's our priority yeah yeah amazing i want to talk about supporting women and what that looks like from a from your perspective how you would work with a woman and and obviously understanding all women are are different but to take take us on a journey from a woman coming to you who is has chronic pelvic pain is not able to be intimate with her partner all the way through until postpartum what are you focusing on in terms of her pelvic health and her overall well-being to to take her on that journey well I guess it completely changes through all the different stages because to start off with if someone comes in and they've got something like to say dyspareunia mm-hmm. or um which is 
a blanket term for painful intercourse. Mm-hmm. We're working on that whole person. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you one piece of research because it changes everything in terms of even how you help prepare someone for birth mm-hmm. versus how you might help someone um, to be intimate with their partner. Mm-hmm. Um, they do so just for the people out there vaginismus is a condition um, and for many it's a debilitating condition where the pelvic floor muscles automatically engage with any form of vaginal penetration and that can be um, a penis a dildo a finger a tampon a speculum it doesn't matter what it was and it can be different for everyone it could be any form of penetration for some and for others it's just a penis or it's just mm-hmm. a speculum or just a tampon or and not even just it is only a penis or yeah. a um and so they had this group of women and the people who did the study truly believed that the pelvic floor contracted inappropriately and it will probably have something to do with sex mm. And so they put electrodes on all through their vagina and so forth and up through their neck. And then they had the group of women without vaginismus. And they showed them a sexually erotic movie, a sexually threatening movie with rape scenes. They showed them a scary movie. And then they showed them a neutral, natural something, a bit like Friends, just something Mm -hmm. easygoing. What they really were not expecting was this group of women contracted their pelvic floor and it had nothing to do with sex. Mm. I think every woman out there is going to say, yeah, I could have told you that. You didn't need yeah. to. <laughs> um, and it had everything to, everything to do with feeling scared, threatened, mm. anxious. So mm. it had nothing to do with this, the erotic movie. And had, mm. But the rape scenes elicited mm. women to be contracting their pelvic floor. It was scary movies. We were contracting our pelvic floor. Mm. And they were not expecting that. They, they 100% thought it would have something to do with sex. Yes. What they really were not expecting was the group of women, the control group, did the exact same thing. Yes. And that's when they realised that the pelvic floor is an emotional muscle mm. and, it, and it contracts and it's a defensive muscle and it contracts when we're scared and when we're anxious and when we feel threat and when we're in pain and all of those things, our pelvic floor contracts. Mm. So when we're being intimate with someone, and it's painful, of course, the pelvic floor is going to contract. So, but it's also working out, look, well, why is it tight in the first place? And where's that fear come from? Where's that anxiety come from? So it's that holistic whole body thing. And that goes through the whole cycle of someone going from wanting to be intimate with a partner to being wanting to get pregnant with them and then postpartum because they need to calm their nervous system down, work out those the why why is it why is it doing that in the first place Mm. um and so we're trying to work out the why while we're also helping to decrease the local tension as well yeah so that goes through to help someone be intimate with their partner and then through birth it's so important because your pelvic floor has two roles during birth Mm -hmm. one of those roles is to have good even tension and that Mm. even tension when the baby's head hits the pelvic floor Mm that even tension flexes the baby's head. And by flexing the baby's head, the smallest part of the baby's head is now presenting to go down the vagina. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm sure I can speak for every single person here who's, who or anyone that's about to have a baby. We all want the smallest part to present. No one mm-hmm. wants the biggest part. So you need good even tone. Mm-hmm. The pelvic floor then turns the baby's head. Mm-hmm. Then it needs to also be pliable and flexible and distensible so it can get the hell out of the way. And it just then moves out of the way. So it's yes. got an active component and a passive. So the mm-hmm. active 
move, helps to move the baby's head. And then the passive part helps to get the baby's head out of the way. Mm-hmm. If you have living in a, a life of fear and stress and anxiety, it is going to be so much harder for that pelvic floor to get out of the way. Mm. So then we're still weaving that whole any um, previous stress and trauma and so forth, even into the birth. And for some Mm. women, it could be just as simple as their fear or anxiety is about the birth. So it might not be a previous thing. And and so it's still weaving that whole thing through the preconception to Mm. actually birth and then postpartum as well. Like we need to be able to, uh, you know, a lot of people have stress and anxiety after birth as well that can impact the way that the pelvic floor is functioning. Mm-hmm. So are you giving them tools and ways uh, like techniques to take into the birth portal with them to try to, in essence, um, regulate their nervous system as much as possible? And and I know that you know the answer to this, but it's the breath. And I say to patients yeah. all the time, your breath, it is the most important tool you can take into the birth yeah. and you can't forget it. Mm-hmm. You can't leave it at home. You've always got it with you. And I guess it's working with them because it's it's no point telling a person or a patient or a mum, a future and soon to be mum, to to bring your breath into birth. They need mm. to be practicing it. They need to be aware of it and knowing how to connect with their breath throughout mm-hmm. um, the pregnancy so that it's familiar with them and they can tap into it really easy. Mm-hmm. Then they they know how that they can use their breath to deal with pain. They know how they can use their breath with visualization techniques to soften mm-hmm. the pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. They know that, and it can be the more that they've used it in the past, the easier it is for them to tap into it to calm their nervous system down. To you know, and then they're bringing in um, vocalizations, um, mm. you know, humming. Mm. I don't know if you know this, um, so excuse me if you do. Um, but I'm sure lots of your listeners might not know this. But your vagus nerve, mm. um, your vagus nerve helps to calm your nervous system. It goes mm. through and around in close proximity to your vocal cords. Mm. So when you hum, and you hum, it helps to calm your nervous system down. Mm-hmm. So how many women do you know that when they're in labour, intuitively, will yeah. moan and make they go, sound, and they make sound, and it's those and Every yogi and enlightened person in, and anyone that's meditated mm. goes om, om. Yeah. I mean, that vibrates. You feel it as soon as you do it. You can feel the vibra- vibration. That helps to calm our nervous system down. We've been using it for decades and centuries and mm. um, millenniums, however, like for a very long time. But it's educating your patients on how they can even use techniques like that to help calm the nervous system down and so forth mm. as well. Yeah, it's why I love mantra so much because it's why just my prescription would be for every woman to learn mantra. And I don't know the scientific, you know, I'm not, I'm sure there hasn't been like, you know, much, if any specific research on this, but maybe, you know, of some of, um, of women who find it challenging to use their voice. And I know when I, when I share yoga with women, oftentimes it's really easy to do something like a bumblebee breath because it's, it is just that humming. And and it's something that maybe we've done since we've been a child, but to vocalize sound in the form of mantra, even for OM can be really intimidating for women. And they're just kind of like, Oh no, I don't want to share. Like, I don't want to share my voice in that way. And then I wonder that like I just intuitively feel like there would definitely be a correlation then to the the emotional state and the physical state um, of their pelvic floor. Oh, yeah. And like mm. 
So even little things like when we do low-toned noises, that helps to relax our pelvic floor. So mm-hmm. the the nervous system and the pelvic floor are just intertwined. Mm-hmm. Nearly everything that you do to calm your nervous system down also calms your and helps to relax your pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. So, and it comes back to learning it, uh, learning it too, because I know that when you, someone is in birth, if they're embarrassed to use their voice, they're probably not going to do it. So I yeah. get my parents to practice that and practice it with their partner. I want their partner to be doing it so they're not sitting there alone mm. doing it. Mm. And for me, I remember with my second birth, the noise that came out of my mouth felt tribal. Mm. I didn't practice that. It was innate. Yeah. So for many of us in birth, if we're if we're having a birth that is well supported, yeah. we feel safe because there's a big difference between yeah. I, I truly believe these noises wouldn't have been coming out of my mouth if I didn't feel safe. Mm. But I felt like there was a, a ring of women chanting my name mm. when mm. this was all happening. And I can remember thinking I would I would normally be embarrassed for this noise to be coming out of my mouth. Mm. Um, so, and I'll, I'm going to do it for you right now. So every woman out there that's preparing for birth. Oh, please do. Going, they, and you can go that it's nothing to be embarrassed about. And I know it's easy for me to say this, but I'm doing it on a platform where there's lots of people that potentially will hear this. But it, it was low and it felt guttural and it was like, it was low and it was, and it, that was helping my pelvic floor. It was helping my nervous system, all of the things. So it's practicing it. It's practicing yeah. it before you get into birth. And and visualization techniques as well. And I know you probably know all about the benefits of visualization techniques. Mm. But when we visualize an activity, it's mm. perceived and it goes to our motor cortex. And your motor cortex, like it sounds, because it's motor, is also the same center that we do an action with. So the more that if you're preparing for birth, the more you can visualize this baby coming down into your vaginal, mm. the more you can visualize that your pelvic floor is softening and, and relaxing. And the more you visualize those things, the more your brain will be able to tap into that because it's a learned behavior for your brain. Mm. It's mm-hmm. Your brain has done that a hundred times mm-hmm. because you've visualized it a hundred times as mm. well. Mm-hmm. And it's tapping into the feeling as well mm-hmm. um, of, of that, of that visualization. I was recording a podcast yesterday um, about a woman who, uh, with a woman who um, specifically works with um, birth trauma. So she's a psychologist and counselor and she works with birth trauma. And she was um, talking about taking women through the birth portal. So if she has the opportunity to work with women before they move into birth um, about the visualization component as well and how oftentimes women may find it difficult to describe how they might want to feel during birth, but when they can look through a series of images, it evokes that emotion and that felt sense. And so then they say, oh, that picture makes me feel like ABC. It makes me feel safe and supported. It makes me feel empowered. It makes me feel strong in my body. And so they take that visualization of the image, which is exactly what you're describing Mm -hmm. now. And I think that's so important when you move into the birth portal from my own experience, and then also with women that I've worked with, when it doesn't go to plan how we would perhaps like it to there's that felt sense that we can hold on to so even if it doesn't look like we want it to in the external that we've got the felt sense of how we want it to feel so when i went into my second birth the plan was to have a v back 
didn't quite work out that way after 30 plus hours of, of labor um, and really needing that additional support. And so making the transition to the hospital and ended up having another, a second C-section. Um, the feeling that I wanted to feel was empowered, in control, in my own body, in in my, you know, being able to make informed choice, being able to ask for what I needed, all of those things I was able to tap into because of all of the work that you're you're speaking to, even though externally it looked very different to what I had envisaged this birth to look like. And I think that's so important. So at these, everything you're talking about just transitions no matter what it looks like specifically i got goosebumps when you're talking about your birth then and mm. i think it's like it's really important that for people to realize that a positive birth can look so different it doesn't have to look like a vaginal birth yeah and look like an unplanned cesarean birth that is still that can still be really positive mm. and it's about working out with your birth plan about going well if i do have to because we have to be we have to be flexible and adaptable with birth. Yeah. And, and if it is going to go down that path, how can I still make it a beautiful birth? And mm. I know it's easy for me to say that because for some people it's a really devastating, it can be really devastating, but as much as possible, we need to sort of be able to also go, oh, well, how can I still make this the best birth possible? And there's always going to be people that have birth trauma and mm. it's it, it just doesn't work. That doesn't happen for them and it's not a positive mm. experience. Mm-hmm. But I think it's it's good to remind ourselves that a positive birth can just look really different. Yeah, absolutely. And you've you've shared a lot across your Instagram account around C-sections, which I love because it's something that it it isn't spoken about as regular as as vaginal birth. Um, and oftentimes it's associated with the narrative of of trauma. And having had two C-sections now, I know that my first one was very traumatic, um, but I also didn't have a lot of these tools and understandings of birth and, and, you know, understandings of the nervous system like I do now, but, but certainly did when I went into my second birth. So I was able to take all of that information and wisdom with me and practice, but also the, of course, the embodied experience of already having had a C-section and how I would wanna have you know, it slightly differently. But what makes you so passionate about sharing information about C-sections? Yeah, because most of the people that I know on social media that share a lot of information about cesarean births, they've all had cesarean births themselves and I haven't, but I just, I feel like they're they're forgotten. Like mm. and to me, they're still given birth, and I really mm. am so passionate about calling it a cesarean birth mm. and just reminding people that they gave birth. And I like I have people come in all the time, and they're you know I listen to their story, and they're talking about the cesarean, and they called a C section, and they mm. they talk about it like it was a medical procedure. And, and I'm lucky mm. that I didn't have a birth like that, but I just I just want every woman to be proud of their birth and mm. um, and I also see how it's almost like people just think about the sort of prolapse and incontinence as a, a thing that you've got to recover from from birth mm. and I've had patients come in who I've done work on their cesarean scar and their body would not move until I did work on their cesarean mm. essentially this one lady and her hips just went from not moving to completely moving after doing work on her cesarean scar and I said to her I said I can't remember how how old was your daughter when you had this cesarean Mm. and she's like 34 
34 years she'd had this tension in her scar wow. and I was in one session I was able to work through her scar mm-hmm. and it completely changed her hips and her low back mm-hmm. and I think that was the moment that I went I need to be doing more of this why isn't everyone doing work on a cesarean mm-hmm. why is why are we not all asking and working on that we preach about pelvic health but why mm-hmm. is it just seems like it's a missed it's missed and it's yeah. major abdominal surgery. You cut yeah. through seven different layers of fascia and tissue to get to the uterus. Mm-hmm. Six months after someone has given birth via a cesarean, their uterus is still remodeling. Mm. They just, I, I truly believe that there just needs to be more care given mm. to, to women who've had a cesarean birth. But not just the physical stuff, but also the mental, and if they do have some trauma associated with, with it. Um, mm. But I'm also really big on it. If a patient comes in and and says, I'm about to, I have to have a cesarean. Mm-hmm. Like me, I'm like, okay, great. Let's make it beautiful. Yes. And I, every time I talk about the cesarean, then it is, okay, it's going to be a beautiful cesarean. What do we want? Yeah. We still want dim lights. Can we do this? Can we do that? Yes. Core clamping. Yes. You know, and I'm sure you had more of an idea of what you would want for your second birth. So you're probably able to have skin and try to breastfeed straight away and all of yes. this. And one of my favorite things is when a patient comes in and they're like, thank you. You completely mm. changed how I was viewing this birth because I had no choice. They had to have a cesarean. And yes. I'm like, let's make it beautiful. And oh, I just love that. It just brings tears to my eyes because I had someone like you as my support person. I had had, because my intention was to have a VBAC home birth. It was, um, I had a private midwife. And so it was the private midwife that actually was able to come into the hospital setting when we transferred to the hospital. And she then became like the support person. And she was the one who was saying, who was keeping me grounded, who was keeping me coming back into my body and saying, okay, you get to choose right so the doctors were coming in and out and it was like you know all of these things and she was like you get to choose right it's your choice you know you get to choose around this and around this and around this and you can ask for this and you can ask for music in the operating theater and you can ask for the least amount of people in the operating theater as possible and you can ask for the you know extended skin to skin contact you can ask for all of these things and i was like i can ask for those things and she's mm-hmm. like, yes. So without someone like that, without someone like you, and I think that is just why it is so important for women to be able to tap into this community of support, whatever that looks like, doulas, midwives, um, you know, osteopaths, like practitioners that specialize in birth and, and working with women in this way, because it cultivated an experience that was so drastically different from my first birth. We had the least amount of people, like literally there was like hardly anyone in the operating theater. It was like mind blowing compared to my first. We had, my daughter was born to mantra playing over. It was dead quiet. All we could hear was the mantra coming in. it was skin to skin contact immediately. We were able to have open conversation with the OB and say that, you know, we want to have, you know, this was our experience with our first birth. We would like to have at the littlest amount of contact with our daughter as possible. So we literally, we want the OB to give it, give her to us. Yeah. And they said, obviously, because of the, um, 
uh, the, you know, they can't pass baby over the curtain because you're obviously opened up, but what they can do is literally midwife will be standing here and they will pass baby to midwife and baby will then come straight to you and the pediatrician will will look at baby later because you've had a completely normal no complicated birth uh, pregnancy like you you know you'll be fine and so it, it was like that she came to us immediately they they did the delayed cord clamping you know and this was in a i had my first um baby in the private system and this was in a public system this second one and yet the experience was so empowering, so beautiful. Um, but from the, if you just looked at it on paper, you would think, oh my God, there would be a narrative immediately there of, oh my gosh, you poor thing. Like, you know, how devastating that you couldn't have the V back. And then you had to have the Caesar and you had to have it in the public system. And like all of these narratives, you know, would come up just on paper. Um, but it actually was the complete opposite to that narrative. It was just the most epic experience ever. And so healing from my first, but yeah. just reiterates that importance of having access to people who one, have the knowledge and the wisdom, and then are willing to, to pass that on and remind you, like you've said, let's make this experience beautiful for you, irrespective of what it's going to look like. I want to bring it back to you, Kate. It was also your mindset. Yeah. You wouldn't have got there no matter what your birth support person, if your mindset wasn't in a good place. For sure. Because, because you meditate, because you have, you probably do meditation, mindfulness, even some gratitude. Mm -hmm. If you didn't have a practice like that, it's hard to get yourself. And that's why, you know, I had a, a, a patient come in recently. She said, I just found out I'm pregnant. So you probably can't start working on me. And I'm like, yeah, we can. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we can. Because yeah. I want you to start doing mindfulness training, meditation, yeah. because yeah. we need to start doing that from word dot. Mm -hmm. so you're like you know your credit in that birth and I listen to your birth and go, that sounds like an amazing birth mm. and um yeah so well done yeah thank you <laughs> yeah, that's great. like and you know I think that yeah it's 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 sounding like a beautiful birth and um yeah yeah um, and it, it it impacts the relationship that women have with their children their, their, their birth can impact, you know, it has a, it really does have a long-term impact. So something that is really quite fleeting when we think about the lifespan of a woman, like birth is this one kind of moment captured in time. And yet it can have this ripple effect until, until the day we, we leave this body. Um, I mean, the woman that you spoke of who had the work on her cesarean scar, you know, many years later, you know, there's women I'm sure that you see who have pelvic floor concerns and they're in their 50s, 60s, you know, and they had their children 30 years ago, right? And they just didn't have the support. A lot of them have just been putting up with it for a really long time. And I also, like nearly every person that I see, um, postnatal mum who I see in the postpartum period, said postpartum a few too many times then um <laughs> who has prolapse and incontinence yeah um and it really bothers them mm. most of them any all nearly all of them who were incontinent were already incontinent before mm. the birth mm. and they were too embarrassed because when you've never had a baby before people are embarrassed about asking for help because isn't sure. that a that just someone who's had a baby or is post-menopausal mm. experiences. Mm. So um, I guess it's just changing the stigma around all of it as well. 
Yeah, yeah. And having more conversations like this for women to tap okay. into and realize that actually, you know, so many other women are experiencing being these things and that and they're unique. Ex- yeah, and that they're valid in their own experience, that there's nothing wrong with them per se. Exactly. Exactly. And they're not coming. I heard someone once say that we're not fixing things because when we say that we're fixing something, Mm. it implies that they're broken. And I'm like, that is awesome. I love that. Like, and I'm sure your husband being an osteo, you know that one of our principles is that that for us, we don't believe that we're doing the work. We believe that, yeah, we might point your body in the right direction in terms Mm. of some treatment and bits and pieces. But Mm. for us, it's your body that's your body that does all the work. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was something that we spoke, I spoke about with him a lot when he first started as an osteopath, he was working in a couple of clinics where they were very, um, they were very much wanting patients to be rebooked. So they wanted patients to be coming back, you know, every, every two weeks consistently forever indefinitely and he always really struggled with that because he always said you know the way that I've been trained and the way that the reason that I wanted to come into this type of work was because I wanted to empower people to take control of their own health care so if they're just coming if I'm making them reliant on me to keep coming back and seeing me every two weeks when they don't actually need to they actually just need to make these subtle adjustments in their life and you know and that I can be that support person that they can keep tapping back into in the moments that they require so it's that comes back to that partnership and that collaborative approach that we were speaking about earlier then that's you know that's what he he sort of desired um but you know i think there's 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 some organizations that you know it really is seen as a business and you know need to make money and yes there's of course like if you have a business it has to be financially viable but also i think you know we keep needing to anchor back into that intention of why we're actually doing this work yeah and look i've never been a practitioner that's like that and you know i have people that come from other clinics and that are like that and work in my clinic um Mm. And it's interesting because they're very, it's a very different mindset. Mm. And they're they're told, you know, you've got to book them in for this many appointments and so forth. You know, the only time I do that is when someone comes in for birth. Sure. And I get so booked out that I will say to them, okay, well, how many times do we think we need to see you prior Mm. to birth, like prior to the birth? Um, And that's the only time I really do that unless someone also, like, because I get so booked out, but I say to patients, if we're booking four or five appointments, if we don't need them, we're cancelling them. Yeah. I don't believe people should. It's that whole find it, fix it, leave it alone thing. Mm. Once once you've worked it out, you should be able to leave it alone. And, and if you haven't, if it's coming back, then you haven't really got to the root cause yet. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm I'm on I'm the same mindset as your husband and I've never worked in a practice that's been like that, but I know mm. a lot of people that are in practices where there's a lot of pressure that you just have to keep rebooking. Mm. Some clinics will be you see one practitioner for five treatments and then you have to see the next person. So there's never mm. that dependency, but they just keep going through, five, you know. and Yeah, just keep circling the way around. Whole, yeah, you start the whole process over again as well. Like, yeah. But, you know, they're, they're, they're big clinics and they earn a lot of money when they do that. Mm. 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 Yeah, but I think it's just compounding the issues that we already have where people feel, one, like they can't take control of their own health care and then seek out the support that they need when they need it um, and just keeps people in this, you know, in this just endless revolving door of the medical system when actually they, they probably don't require it 
you no, know, no, no, so exactly. much. <laughs> and overtreatment's a big thing. And the second that I, someone comes in and they even are sniffing around at the fact that they've improved, I'm like, okay, mm. I know it's been four weeks. Let's make it six weeks. Because yeah. I don't want someone to be, I'm so busy. I can't have people dependent on me. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just because I'm busy. I've never wanted someone to be dependent on yeah. me. I'm always pushing them out and going, okay. And sometimes they're like, oh, do you think? I'm like, well, look, well, if you want, we can keep it at that. But if if you're going, okay, I want you to cancel. I want you to reschedule it for two mm. weeks. I don't want you coming in here and saying that you're feeling good. Yes, yes. And, don't come back if you're feeling good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if in the in two weeks later, if you're, you've got your appointment booked, and you're um and you're feeling really good mm-hmm. i want you to cancel it it's different yeah. in pelvic health because someone can be having a prolapse and they're feeling really good but they still need to continue to be yeah. really, you know working on their pelvic floor strength so sometimes yeah. in those cases i won't be saying to cancel but if it is more a pain aspect mm. then yeah i'm saying yeah if you're going really well you're mm. discharged you can make appointments as need be i don't yeah. want coming yeah. back yeah, yeah. And if you're working with someone like throughout their fertility journey or as they're approaching birth and then into postpartum, it's obviously that regular touch point, which is really nice and that and that yeah. regular support as well. So, of course, that that instance is different, especially if someone has a prolapse, mm. um, they want that regular support. And if they're yeah. really stressed about it, even if the prolapse is going really well, they mm. still need that, that time yeah. to have you reconnect and because the more stressed someone is about a prolapse, there's some really good research that talks about the more stressed you are, the more your symptoms will bother you. Mm. And it doesn't mean that your symptoms are worse. Mm-hmm. It just means that you're, they bother, bother you more. Yeah, I would say that would be true for all. Oh, yes. All most yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I love my my prolapse patients coming in and, and me saying, I, you've been really, and they're talking about how stressed they've been and it's getting worse. Mm. And, and then you're looking like you're actually better. And they're like, what? I want your yeah. brain, like your brain needs to hear this. Yeah. It's better. And I'm like, but your nervous system comes back mm. to the nervous system again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just making you feel like it's worse, even though mm. it's not. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the brain's <laughs> just still try, trying to catch up to the body. Yeah. 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 So, you know, some of those patients, they do, they need, they need regular check-in. Um, but I love being able to discharge patients and say, you can make an appointment as need be now. Yeah. 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 Amazing. Well, you're doing phenomenal work in the world. Thank you for your time today. Can we close by having you share your vision for women's wellness? I guess my, what I really want for all women, I want every woman to be able to have pain-free sex mm. and an incredible orgasm. Mm. I want them, if they choose to be pregnant, mm. I want them to be able to enjoy that journey. Mm. Um, and I want them to have the birth that they want, not what, other people want them to have but I want them to have that positive beautiful birth that um, that they're after and then I hope that they can all just run and jump and play with their kids afterwards without the feeling of you know like bladder leakage or mm. you know and so I want them all to have a nice healthy pliable mm-hmm. pelvic floor that works well and yeah yeah it does amazing a <laughs> very big long-winded wellness That's great yeah, yeah. Love it. Love a big vision. Why not? (laughs) One vagina at a time. One vagina at a time. I love it. Where can people find you if they want to connect? 
Yeah, so um, on my Instagram, and I have lots of helpful tips on my Instagram account, um, that's the pelvic health underscore osteo. Mm -hmm. um, if you're an, um, an osteopath listening to this, you might want to check out um, the Pelvic Health Institute on Instagram. That's mm -hmm. where we have got all of our courses. Mm -hmm. And we don't just run courses with internal. We do a lot of external courses as well for preparing mm -hmm. birth and even learning mm -hmm. how to address pelvic floor issues that are external mm -hmm. and then my two clinics I've got one clinic in Kew mm -hmm. um, and that's called Eastern Osteopathy mm -hmm. and I've had that for about 10 years and then in Hampton I have the Osteopathic Pelvic Hub so mm -hmm. um, and lots of osteopaths trained in pelvic um, health in both of those clinics mm -hmm. so um, the osteopaths working with me are lucky enough that they just get all my overflow um, mm. We don't want to wait the six or seven or eight weeks to see me. So, yeah, they're beautiful clinics. And, um, yes, yeah, so that's where you can find me. Amazing. Thank you so much. Until oh, we speak time. again. All right. Thanks, Kate. Thanks for listening to the Holistic Woman podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe, share, like, comment, or leave a review. And if you'd like to connect, you can find me at Kate Payne Yoga across Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok.